cool. So we're in the middle of a series uh, called uh, Five Essential Nutrients, uh, Embracing God's Plan for Spiritual Growth. And what we're really doing is looking at this question of how do we as people uh, grow spiritually? Uh, obviously, uh, God loves us just the way we are, that he, uh, while we were still sinners, Christ uh, died for us. So when we're in our worst brokenness and our, our, our most difficult uh, moments in life, that's the moment when God's seen us and loved us and fully accepted us and cleansed us and made us whole in that moment. But uh, we know that at the same time as we were saved, we have been saved. We are being saved, right? We are being continually transformed and being uh, made new. And so the question is, like, what does that process really look like for us? So we're looking at these sort of five areas. This is Andy Stanley's formulation. There's lots of ways to look at it. But there are really five things that are catalysts for spiritual growth in our lives. One that we talked about last week is obviously uh, practical biblical teaching. Exposing yourself to good teaching is really important. Uh, personal spiritual disciplines. Um, experience in ministry and service. Like we really tend to grow when we're serving, when we're pouring out. That's when we most sort of need to learn ourselves. And so we just learn by doing. That's, that's pretty obvious. Uh, serendipitous relationships really help us grow. God just, uh, this is one of the things that's sort of out, of out of our control, that we can put ourselves in good places to connect with, with people that are going to help us, but a relationship with somebody can be really significant in terms of finding a mentor and finding someone who's going to help you grow. And of course, catalytic circumstances, uh, which is a really nice way of saying suffering. Um, <laughs> sometimes we really grow through difficult circumstances and it forces us to grow. So that's sort of uh, a formulation. And we're just going to look over the next several weeks at these, um, at what it is to be a spiritual mature and how these things uh, contribute to that. Our definition for spiritual maturity that we're working with is uh, knowing Christ in a way that's characterized by enduring faith. So somebody who's spiritual mature, who's a hero for us, is somebody who is, uh, is, has faith that endures. Like they're consistent. They go through suffering and hardship and pain and, and all kinds of different things, uh, challenges in life. They have a long story, a long journey, and they just, uh, they just go through life and, and continue and maintain a connection with God in spite of adversity. Uh, they maintain faith in spite of adversity. That's, that's heroic. And, and that sort of faith propels us into a radical commitment to imitate Jesus. So we look at somebody who's imitating Christ, who, who is trying to be more like him, and, and that's who we're trying to be. And then to not just be like him, but to join him in his mission, to do the stuff that he did, to, to do what he's calling us to do in the world. And so that's sort of the, what, it, what it looks like, we think, uh, to sort of be spiritually mature and to kind of grow in it. But today we're going to talk about that, that inner life. We're going to talk about spiritual disciplines, the inward uh, stuff. Um, how many of you remember, how many of you had a basement in your home when you were kids? I, I remember my parents' basement. I remember uh, as, as a little kid what it was like to sort of go down there. Uh, I would often get sent down, sometimes we'd go down there to play and stuff, uh, but, but sometimes you get sent down there to get a chicken out of the freezer. Did any of you have like the big chest freezer that when you opened it up, it kind of popped and then went, Right, and then you're digging around in there through all the frozen stuff for, for chicken or whatever, and then you're booting it back up the stairs. Well, I remember going into my parents' basement a lot, and, and what that experience for me was like, it was, it was fine, except there was one small glitch uh, with the system. There was a light switch at the top of the stairs, but not at the bottom of the stairs. Do any of you remember this as kids? That when you got alone downstairs in the basement, you didn't like that very much? 
Let's be honest. That's just something that most kids experience. My kids experienced it. You guys experienced it. And I just remember what that feeling was like. You sort of go down in the basement. You got to creep down the stairs to get to that light switch. And you turn it on as fast as you possibly can. And suddenly there's light. And there's like a nuclear unlocking sequence of lights that you have to turn on to get through the storage room, through the, storage, through the, through the furnace room, and get to the freezer. And turning all the lights on as you go to get to that freezer, get that thing out of there. And then uh, you're working your way back, turning off the lights you go because you know dad's going to yell at you if you don't turn off the lights. So you turn off one light, turn off the other, turn off the other light. And then that bottom light at the bottom of the stairs that you have to uh, have to turn off on your way up. And then it's just like, it's terrifying down there because there are monsters. And you're just going to boot it up the stairs and get up there. Right? Do you guys remember that feeling? <laughs> right? That's a pretty common, familiar feeling for us as humans. That's kind of what, in some ways, like our inner spiritual life is like sometimes. Does that, does that seem like an okay metaphor for, for what it's like, like when we get to, down to looking at the insides of us and who we are? If we look at our inner life, at our prayer life, uh, at, our, at our makeup emotionally, which we're wrestling with in, internally, it kind of looks like the standard Canadian basement a little bit sometimes. You know, there's, this is actually one of the cleaner images. This is not hoarder basement. This is just normal Canadian basement. Um, and, there, you know, there's the furnace there and the freezer. Look, there's some dusty, unused exercise equipment. That's a pretty good metaphor for our spiritual lives, for spiritual disciplines. Uh, I think that's just, just throwing that out there. Um, but that's kind of what our lives are like a little bit. Uh, Tim Keller describes it like this. Uh, if we give priority to the outer life, our inner life will be dark and scary, like that basement. Uh, we will not know what it is, what to do with solitude. We will be deeply uncomfortable with self-examination. And we will have an increasingly short attention span for any kind of reflection. Even more seriously, our lives will lack integrity. Outwardly, we will need to project confidence, uh, spiritual and emotional health, and wholeness. While inwardly, we may be filled with self-doubts, anxieties, and self-pity. Does that sound like us sometimes, if we're honest? Right? Um, we, we tend to like to live up in the living room, don't we? We tend to like to live looking out the windows. For us in our culture, uh, looking out the windows and kind of avoiding that messy basement interior life is, is like what we do, you know, on the screens, like Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it is, Netflix, taking in this media. Uh, we, we live in a way trying to look out the windows of our lives, uh, take in what's going on, uh, keep what we can in terms of the upstairs looking nice and presentable and together at church on Sunday mornings and, and all of that. In case a guest happens to come over, they know what it looks like, it's going to be okay. Somebody can drop in and it's going to be all right. But, but underneath and inwardly, uh, we're like that basement. And we're actually, if you're, if you're honest, sometimes we're a little scared of going down there and really taking the time uh, to invest. And I, I just want to say, just, just, just from my heart, that that's really isn't what God wants for us, is it? That's just not what God wants for us. This is what I think God wants our, our basement to be. Like, this is awesome! <laughs> There's a lot, I found a lot of really nice wine cellars, but I thought that wouldn't be an appropriate image. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, like, like a library with these books all organized and, and this comfortable chair, this place of meeting with God, uh, this place of interaction, of learning, uh, of depth and of richness, a place that's clean and that's orderly. 
and that feels safe and that feels full of goodness. That's, that's I think, what we want our inner life to be in order to be people who are, who are actually strong believers on the outside, right? And so when we talk about personal spiritual disciplines, that's, that's what we're talking about, it, it, is finding a way to take our basements and, and bring order to them, to bring them to a place that's, that's good and a healthy and a wonderful uh, place for us to be. I just want to refer you to a book, and we're not going to spend much time on this at all. Uh, this is my old, well-worn copy called Celebration of Discipline by Richard J. Foster. And it sort of breaks spiritual disciplines into three different categories, inward, outward, and, and sort of corporate. And I really value these, these secondary two as well. We're not going to talk about them, uh, this series, that much. But outwardly, uh, living lives of simplicity, uh, knowing how to go and be alone, um, submission, service, and corporate. Like, just, I love love the value of corporate confession, corporate worship, uh, receiving guidance from the Lord in the sense of a community context, not just self-guided, and, uh, and the idea of celebration and worship, what we do together on Sunday morning, that's so important. Uh, but inwardly, there's these other disciplines that are, that are really important for helping us clean out our basement, uh, prayer, meditation, fasting, study. Um, but the problem is when we talk about those things, uh, prayer, meditation, fasting, study, spiritual disciplines, even that word spiritual discipline, how many of you just have a wonderful association with that phrase? Well, you know, what are some of the first feelings that, that you have when you think of, of spiritual disciplines or, or, or the first images that you have? Uh, for me, sometimes it can be a sense of guilt. Uh, for me, sometimes it can be a sense of, uh, of failure, like I really don't pray enough. Or a sense, man, I haven't like done any fasting in such a long time. Uh, a sense of being measured against against a, a high standard. A sense sometimes of failure. And sometimes the images we have are just downright medieval, right? And sometimes the images that we have are like these ancient uh, Christian uh, leaders who are like out in the desert uh, standing on a pole, you know, in ancient times. Actually, I'm going to just zip over here. I should have uh, brought the book with me. Um, I'm going to just read you a short passage from the life of uh, Antony, written by An Athanasius of, of Antioch. Yeah, he's one of the desert fathers, and this little piece was written uh, in the mid-300s to talk about sort of this disciplined life uh, that some of the early fathers uh, used to lead and some of the sort of spiritual impact of what was going on when they were, when they were processing uh, some of this. Some of it's, uh, when you're reading the early church fathers, you're taking the stuff that's really rich and deep and trying to grow from it, and then some of it you're like, what the heck does this mean? And so you're going to understand what I mean when I, when I read this a little bit. Uh, so this is, uh, is uh, the life of Anthony describing this desert father who lived in a small town in the Egypt, uh, Alexandria area, outside of there, and he would just go out into the desert to interact with God. And it said, uh, it says this, um, it says, he was pure of heart and prepared to obey God's will and no other. And he used to tell himself that from the career of the great Elijah, as from a mirror, the ascetic, so that's somebody who's really serious about discipline, must always acquire knowledge of his own life. So then it says this, girding himself in this way, Antony went out to the tombs that were situated some distance from the village. He charged one of his friends to supply him periodically with bread, and he entered one of the tombs and remained alone locked within, his friend having closed the door on him. What a nice friend, eh? Isn't that nice to have friends like that? Um, when the enemy, the devil, could stand it no longer, for the devil was apprehensive that Anthony might before long fill the whole desert with disciplined prayer. 
Approaching one night with a multitude of demons, he whipped him with such force that he lay on the earth, speechless from the tortures. He contended that the pains were so severe as to lead one to say that the blows could not have been delivered by human hands, since they caused such agony. But by God's providence, dot, dot, dot. So how would you like to have a prayer life like that? <laughs> Right, so when we think of spiritual disciplines, our minds go to often the uh, monks to like super spiritual, heroic, crazy uh, stuff. I remember, uh, some of you have heard me tell the story, I remember when I was uh, in high school and I really wanted to pray, I really wanted to fast, it was part of uh, deciding, uh, you know, sort of some stuff around my life in terms of ministry, and I went to Bethesda uh, out in the woods sort of between here and Ottawa, and I stayed in a little cell that they had, their little uh, retreat cabins, and I was going to do like a really serious fast, and I did a three-day fast. Uh, I did no food and no water for three days because I was an idiot, and, uh, and <laughs> like just not knowing what I'm doing, right? Like, and honestly, by the time I was done, like on day three, lots of prayer, lots of interaction with the Lord, it was pretty good, but honestly, by day three, I was starting to get a little crazy. And I remember just walking through the woods, like I'm just walking through the woods, it was in the spring, and it was mosquito season, and these mosquitoes were like bzz, buzzing around my head, buzzing around my head. You know what that feels like when you get out with the mosquitoes? But when you've been three days fasting, like literally I thought the hordes of hell were chasing me. And I'm like literally running down the path, ah! booting it back to my cell and close the door and get in, like, oh Jesus, oh, I repent, oh. Right? Like sometimes our images of this stuff can be, uh, be pretty extreme, but, but that's not really what I think. I mean, maybe you're called to that, but that's not really what I think God is calling us to. God's calling us to uh, something that I think is really, really beautiful. So just, just a few thoughts on this. Uh, you know, what, what spiritual disciplines are not meant to be in is one, they're not meant to be public. They're not meant to be something that is shared with everybody. They're not meant to be something you feel the pressure to tweet about or, or put on Instagram, which is something that, uh, you know, I've even had a tendency to do. Uh, they're not meant to be corporate or competitive. Part of them, uh, letting them be public and, and hearing other stories, people's stories of their prayer lives, are that, uh, that we begin to feel competitive or we begin to feel judged or I'm not achieving or performing. In, in a way that I ought to. I'm not praying as much as I should. I'm not uh, following God in, in that way. They're not meant to be driven by guilt. They're not meant to be marked by uh, re religious striving. They're not meant to be uh, a measuring stick of your spirituality. And they're not really meant to be goal-oriented. Uh, your, your life of prayer, your life of worship, your, your inner life with God is actually not about achieving something at all. It's just about being in the presence of the Father and knowing Him. Uh, to put these things in a more positive way, spiritual disciplines are meant to be private or even secret. They're something for you and God. Uh, they're meant to be fulfilling. They're meant to be freeing, grace-filled, sustainable. And, and instead of something that's sort of driven by uh, whatever, they're, just, they're meant to be a rhythm of life that is just familiar and common and joyful and, and normal. And we see that uh, in the life of Jesus. Uh, just looking at John uh, chapter 7, verse 10, after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then Jesus also went up publicly and privately. And just that one verse in John 7, this is Jesus taking a walk that took five days that his disciples weren't allowed to come with them on. So uh, we just, just from the context, we know where Jesus was walking. We know that it took him about five days to get there. And he just decided to walk by himself. Disciples, you can maybe follow behind or 
follow a day later or take another route, but, but he's going to go. And Jesus went uh, in private. He took that time alone. Um, uh, sorry, this isn't John 7, 10, but said, when Jesus and his disciples had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Um, and then uh, later in Luke 22, we see more about that. He went out as usual to the Mount of Olives to pray, and his disciples followed him. He withdrew about a stone's pace beyond them uh, and, and knelt down and prayed. So Jesus had this habit of going to the Mount of Olives. This experience that we see Jesus praying at Gethsemane wasn't the first time he ever decided to go up there. He had rhythms, he had habits, he had spaces and times where he created uh, space for him to interact with God. We see other spots where he got out on the boat. Uh, we see other spots where he went out into the wilderness alone. We see his 40 days uh, in the wilderness. That There's something about the life of Jesus uh, that even he, Jesus who is God, creator of the whole universe, needed to pray. Now that brings us to a really great question. If Jesus was God, why did he need to pray? If Jesus was God, why did he need to pray to God? I think, I think what we see there, you know, if, if anything, is a recognition in Jesus being fully God and fully man, something that uh, our guy Antony and Athanasius were really passionate about in the 300s, understanding God to be fully God and fully man, Jesus fully God, fully man, that there's something about being human and being in a physical body and being in skin that... that being spiritual too and being related to God and having relationship with him uh, requires some kind of effort. It requires some kind of intentionality. And even for Jesus, uh, the, the one who created the whole universe and, and held it all in the palm of his hands, holds it all in the palm of his hands, he needed to be just him and the Father in community with him sometimes so that he could be fully God and fully man all the rest of the time with his disciples and healing the sick. There's something about that communion that Jesus had with the Father that if he needed it and if he wanted it, then, and, and if he treasured it, then there's something about that there that, that we can treasure, that we can give ourselves permission to treasure, that we can give ourselves uh, permission uh, to love. There's more to unpack there theologically uh, in terms of Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit. But just know that there is something about him that just simply treasured being in relationship with the Father as an end in itself. Something just important for him. Uh, for us, it's actually more about dependence. Uh, Tim Keller says it like this, to pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. There's, there's something about it that says that this relationship with God is, is something that is continual, something that I am called to uh, daily, something that I am called to uh, all the time. And where we really see Jesus unpack it and where we really get uh, the value of this secret nature of relationship with God is in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's really our key text for this morning. We're just going to hit a few highlights from it. Um, it says this, it says, and, and I'm going to read a bit of the extended section because Jesus sort of uh, talks about two things in the same way. He talks about his care for the poor, his sort of public ministry, and he talks about uh, his private ministry to God uh, in, in a couple of, uh, in, in the same way. So I want us to see these things together. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you care for the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you care for the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And just to pack apart, pull apart a couple of things there, um, I, think, I think just this phrase, be careful, is important. Uh, and and what, that, what that really means is be intentional. Be thoughtful. Be, um, be, allow a little structure. Allow a little intentionality in your life. Uh, for us, if we look back to that metaphor of the basement, uh, going down into that uh, space where that maybe needs a little tidying up, you kind of have to choose to, to get down there, don't you? You kind of have to choose to make your way down there to begin to, to you know, move things and sweep things and organize things and get the bins and, and sort it all out. There's a, there's a, there's a cu- way of curating our spiritual lives and a way of being okay with taking the time to do that. Uh, so he says this, be careful not to practice that in front of others, to be seen. So he's talking about motivation there. Don't do it to be seen. Um, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you care for the, the, the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. So he's, he's, he's speaking to intention. And I think that for us is, is a huge challenge with our spiritual lives, with our giving, with our ministries, is, is to ask ourselves the question, uh, why we're doing it. Uh, for me, with my devotional life, for, for my prayer life, for uh, the way I care for people in the community, uh, very often it, it, it feels like I, I ought to be modeling something. I ought to be uh, showing the community something, or I ought to be, uh, my life, you know, as, as sort of a public person in the community is a life that's meant to be on display. Jesus actually calls me not to do that. Jesus actually calls you not to do that. It, it, it's not to be seen. I remember, I remember a time when I was, in, I was in Toronto, I was pastoring in a big church. I was the youth pastor there, and uh, I guess another pastor in the church had, had the idea that uh, the senior pastor wasn't 100% sure that I was really uh, committed to the ministry. I wasn't necessarily in the, in the river. I wasn't necessarily doing the stuff. And he said, I know you're praying for people. I know you're there in the ministry times. I know you're doing it, but maybe what you should do is you should, when you're praying for people, just look for where the senior pastor is. And when you pray for people, do it so that you're in his line of sight so that he can see you praying for them. And he knows you're, you're doing the stuff. I just couldn't do it. just couldn't do it. For me as a pastor, my, my, my job isn't to be uh, the one who's, who's on display for you doing it. 
Because, because I, I, what Jesus is calling us to do here is to do it for him. To do it on display for him. Uh, you guys could reward me. I don't know what kind of rewards you could get. Like actually on my, on my Apple Watch, when I complete my exercise rings for a given day, there are a few friends who have Apple Watches and they get notified. And if I do all my exercise in a day, I get kudos from them which is great. And maybe we should have that for prayer in the church so that everybody has a night's watch. And if you pray to a certain amount, then you can give kudos to the other guy. Who, you know, that's not what this is about, is it? Right? It, it, it's, a, it's about your heavenly father seeing. He sees the way you give. He sees the way you care for people. He sees what happens in secret. And that's actually the reward that you want. Isn't it? And that, is, is that a better reward? than what we can give one another. That's the reward that, that, that we're called to. We want that heavenly reward. He goes on, he says, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Your intention determines your reward. They've done it for others. And in doing it for others, you've received your reward. Your intention determines your reward. So there's just a call to care. There's a, ca a call to a heart check uh, with the way we serve and the way we, we move in the community, uh, the way even we as a church present ourselves. Uh, it, it actually says in the scriptures, uh, let your deeds shine before men. How many of you remember that passage, right? Right, so that sounds a little bit contrary to this. But what's, what, what's, what's actually really interesting about that passage is it's actually not let your church brand shine before men. It's not let... Uh, Aaron shine before men. The deeds themselves shine and point people to the Father. And we're out of the way. The deeds themselves point to the goodness of the Father. So truly I tell you, uh, they've received their reward in full, but when you care for the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is just using hyperbole here. Like, like keep it a secret. Keep it on the DL so that your giving may be in secret, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And we're going to unpack that in the context of prayer now. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So what's a hypocrite? We see hypocrite as, a, as somebody who's defined as looking one way on the outside but not being the same way internally, right? Looking a certain way on the outside, not being the same way internally. Uh, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners, Again, to be seen with the intention of being seen by others. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So imagine that your prayer life is, is purely public, and I get the value of corporate prayer and worship and the way we've uh, cared for one another praying for the sick. There's, there's value. There were lots of times when the church gathered to pray together in people's homes and all that. So we're not saying that that's not right to do, but there's a secret devotional life that is absolutely not meant for anybody else to see, right? Uh, so we keep that secret and we don't let that peace be revealed. We don't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing about that. Um, so that your reward, if, if it was intended to be for people and from people, then, then your reward comes from people. But if it's intended for God, then the reward comes from God. So let's think about that in the context of prayer. What does that mean uh, in a life of prayer, in a life of intimacy with God, in a life of knowing Him, in developing a secret life and a secret ministry to the Father? What does that really mean to receive a reward from Him? 
Let's unpack a little bit in the next verse. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and when you pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I think the answer to, to what that is and what that means is that in, in that secret place, the unseen nature of God, and, and this is not to be understated, there is something about the unseenness of God that's important. He's revealed himself in Jesus. He uh, reveals himself to our, our hearts. He reveals himself in the scripture. But there's something about his nature that we experience in prayer that, that is unseen. And, and what I would like to say is that there is something about the unseenness of God that he allows to be seen when nobody but you is looking. That's the reward. That's the reward. The aim of a healthy spiritual life is to connect you with whatever, unseen, whatever of the unseenness of God that he wants to share just with you. You don't want to miss that. That's what orders our messy basements. He knows exactly what your basement looks like. He knows exactly what junk is in there that needs to get out. He knows exactly uh, what's in there that's to be treasured. He knows exactly what it is about your story. And if, and, if, and if you're letting your spiritual life only be for the upstairs, for the living room, where people can look in the windows and see it, then you miss something that is just so precious and is just such a treasure for you. And the beauty of that space uh, in the basement, the secret life with God is, if nobody sees it, then you are free from competition. You're free from guilt. You're free from thinking, oh man, I didn't pray as much as Martin Luther. <laughs> right? Martin Luther King Jr., right? I've seen the quote go around a dozen times around Martin Luther King Day talking about how uh, in his prayer life, uh, when he had a really busy day, if his day was crazy, busy, intense, then he had to get up three hours early to pray. We all hear all those things, read all those things. Oh man, I gotta get up and pray three hours. I gotta do it. Feel that sort of sense of guilt comparing ourselves to him. Uh, we, don't, we didn't need to know. I love the story of Martin Luther King Jr., but we didn't need to know that part of the story. There's something that's just for you. There's something that the Father has that is only for you. There's something about the heart of God. There's something about the personality of God. There's something about the way he speaks. There's something of treasure. I can maybe tell you a bit about what it is for me, but I'm not going to. And you should tell me what it is about for you. There's meant to be something absolutely personal and absolutely private and absolutely beautiful and awesome in your relationship with God so that you know 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 that he loves you just for you. He died just for you. Just for you. And so the question for us is, how do we get from messy basement to here? And the, and the honest answer is, is it's just time. It's just intentionality. It's just saying no to Instagram for five minutes. It's turning off the PS4. 
and, and grabbing a Bible. It's putting your phone on the charger and closing the door to wherever it is. It's getting up five minutes early. And what we expect to find in that, and, and, and again, that's just not easy for us. In fact, Tim Keller says it like this, says, prayer is awe, intimacy, and struggle, yet it's the way to reality. There's nothing more important, harder, or richer, or more life-altering. There's absolutely nothing so great as prayer. But it is struggle. It's intentionality. It's carving that space out. And so the challenge for us this week, I think, is to just evaluate for ourselves a little bit in a fresh and new way. What of my life can be carved out to be a secret ministry to Jesus? That's just for him and me. Where you know that you're loved, where you know that you're safe, where you know that you're standing on the rock. And if we have that in place, then all the rest of our lives are just gonna be so much better. Uh, there's lots to read about prayer, fasting, um, all of that. I'm not even going to get into any of that stuff, but just to call us to it. Just to call us to it. In whatever way works for your personality, in whatever way is far from guilt and shame, in whatever, you know, if it's running and putting on uh, the scriptures to listen to, go for a run. If it's uh, driving in the car uh, in silence, then go for a drive. Uh, whatever it is that works for you, God will meet you. Uh, avoid the stereotypes, avoid the images, avoid uh, all of that stuff and just carve out that space and time with Jesus in a new way. And don't tell anybody about it. It's just for you and him. Lord, we just confess that we're uh, kind of like, uh, <laughs> we are kind of like a messy basement sometimes. We even have fear of, of silence. Uh, we just fill ourselves with media and data and work and uh, so many entertainment, so many things. And our, and our basements are, are left in disorder. I, I pray right now, though, that you would remove from anyone any sense of guilt or shame about their messy basement. Would you just, by the power of your love, like supernaturally, God, uh, set us free from that and let us have just a fresh starting point. Knowing that you, in your love, you just want to meet us down there. And that you'll help us clean it up in good time. Would you let our times of prayer uh, this week be, uh, in, in a new way, uh, freeing, joyful, intimate, peaceful, grace-filled, rich, For those who have tried and tried and tried to make it work and struggled, would it be uh, maybe beautiful for the first time ever? Take us to a secret place with you, Jesus. And let us be built up from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
God bless you. He loves you.